after that amazing... What is that dog, Latif? <laughs> yeah, I have the most... world's most annoying dog next door to me. Did they just move in or something? No, this dog's been there for a while, and it just will not shut up. It just barks at anything, like birds, trees, cars, people. <laughs> Life. Yeah. Either it's, like, really stupid and scared of everything, or just has no inhibition. <laughs> I like to think it's both. Yeah, it's probably a combination of this. <laughs> well, guys, if you hear a dog in the background... That's the newest addition to Filmcraft. We'll have to give him a name. Maybe not right now, but we'll give him a Filmcraft name. But until then, welcome back to Filmcraft. Uh, we have actually a really fun episode, or I think it's going to be fun at least, planned for you guys. We're going to go over just some movies we love and how they influence us and the things that we take away from them and use in our own films. And then I'm going to quiz the shit out of Latif about film school. Well... Why don't you kick it off? I know you said that there was basically three movies that really made you want to make movies. So what are they? What would you take away from them? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I think the, f the first movie that I saw in theaters that kind of blew me away um, long before I wanted to do any filmmaking. It was, um, I think, in the 10th grade. I was in high school and I went to see Children of Men in the movie theaters. And I remember yes. when the movie finished and the credits came up, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. This was kind of, you know, a kind of epiphany in movie watching for me. Because I I got my first job at the movie theaters and I got to see movies for free. And I saw some pretty kind of underwhelming teenage fare. And then for the first time, I saw Children of Men um, through the suggestion of a friend they, they wanted to watch it. And I was like, sure, let's watch it. And it was just um, completely different from anything I'd seen. Just to give you like a comparison, I think I I watched Hancock with Will Smith not that long before. <laughs> very just, different movies. Know, very different. Um, and I, I don't remember liking Hancock that much either. But <laughs> I remember after Children of Men, I was like, wow, that was amazing. And, and from there on, I would always recommend it to people. Um, I think I told you the joke about whenever someone was like, what should we watch? I would say children of men. It's about truth and babies and, <laughs> and trying to paint it as a happier <laughs> movie. By the end of it, everyone's like crying, like, well, why did you make us watch this? <laughs> so to frame this for the audience, for those listening, um, part of the reason this came up was because last night I watched children of men for the first time. And yeah. it was one of those things where I was just flipping around Crave. That's what we have here in Canada. It's the Canadian equivalent of HBO Max. Um, and I saw Children of Men. All I knew was apparently there's a really long one take. And I knew it that had something to do with like gunshots or something. So I assumed it was running away from something. Uh, I knew Clive Owen was in it. And I knew people said it was really good. So like, all right, let's throw this on. It, I think it might be my favorite movie of all time now. Like I am still in awe of this thing. And I think it'll kind of be interesting to go over this bouncing back between you and I, Latif, because like I saw this now when I'm, you know, fairly what I would consider deep into filmmaking and you saw it as a genesis of it. Right. Um, so like you watch this in the theater and is your next thought like, holy shit, I want to do that. No, it, it left a more, 
lasting imprint on me because that I think that initial like thing that gets you excited to try to do something is always kind of flashy and accessible but you know children of men is not that in any way it's it's like the overall impression kind of created something in my head and and partially you're you know guided by your artistic choices by your own taste but i think it's also guided by the things that you choose to watch that aren't necessarily in your in your circle of reference so for me children of men was stepping into something that i wasn't used to because you know being a you know 16 year old kid going to the movies with your friends is always watching the dumb blockbuster um and for me that wasn't children of men um <laughs> so when i went into that movie it kind of opened up my my perspective and you know what's available to me um it was the first time i saw a movie where the lighting was so naturalistic and and kind of simple it's more of like a steampunk reality i guess like you know apocalyptic yeah it's not quite bad <laughs> but it's, it's dark bad <laughs> it, well it's not unlivable there are people still kind of doing day-to-day stuff it's not like people are like yeah. trying to kill each other for bread <laughs> it's not that bad um but it's pretty grim um and it, it's definitely got a kind of style and look to it but at the same time it, it kind of you know, the way people would talk in the movie felt very conversational and normal. You believe it. Nothing feels like scripted. Like there isn't like a moment in the movie where I feel like that was planned. Whereas comparison, you know, Hancock, every freaking line in the movie feels like it's <laughs> scripted. Um, and it doesn't feel as natural. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I had never been exposed to that kind of filmmaking. So for me, Children of Men was just like a, a different world. Um, and, you know, a pleasure to get to see, like, you know, Emmanuel Lubezki's photography um, at that point, because uh, I didn't, you know, even until I got into film, I didn't know why I liked it so much. But, you know, the, the second film that had a huge influence on me was The Tree of Life, and they're both shot by uh, Emmanuel Lubezki. So you can kind of f- see this weird thread and like the things that kind of visually I was attracted to. Um, without even really knowing it. I think I've talked about this before, but just to reiterate that point. Yeah, totally. And I want to jump on something you said real quick there, where you said nothing felt scripted. Um, That was one thing that really jumped out to me too. And uh, I started trying to kind of mini analyze it in my head. And I think one of the reasons that it feels so good to listen to these conversations and everything is because it feels real in the way that like, as soon as this movie starts, we can see that this world, like, there's no beating around the bush. This world sucks ass, you know? I, I would not want to live in that world. It seems pretty terrible. And the main character doesn't shy away from that, right? Like, he's depressed, borderline to the point where he doesn't want to be there. You can tell he's got that good heart and everything, but that really feels oppressive living in that space. But then when he goes to visit, like, Michael Caine, and one of the first things he says is pull my finger and then he lets out this raging fart in the car that really stinks. Like it has these moments of levity and fun and it kind of makes me feel like that's the way the real world is. Like even if you're depressed for one reason or another, you can still have moments that really make you laugh and take you out of it for a second and make 
things go away, but then, you know, right after that, you can still be reminded of other things. So it kind of ebbs and flows and becomes this like almost, I don't want to say emotional roller coaster, but a roller coaster nonetheless. You know, you have your moments of comedy, you have your moments of borderline suicidal, then you have your moments of talking about political spectrum of this crazy out there universe. And all of that just made everything feel very real to me where I think where you mentioned Hancock it's like he has powers how does he have his powers he cannot remember why can he not remember like that feels like they're really trying to spoon feed you information um what do you take away like why do you think all those conversations felt so real to you I think partially about the subject matter you know obviously there there are moments in the film that heavily um, aimed towards the main theme of the movie and what everyone's kind of goals are. And you start to see them kind of diverge the further we get down the line. You know, you start to learn about, you know, certain groups' motives compared to, um, you know, Theo or um, some of the people he's associated with or some of the people Julian's associated with. So it kind of changes and obviously that's all important for the story. But then you have simple moments like him talking to um, Michael Caine's character about strawberry cough weed or something. <laughs> and it's so casual. And that's like something that, you know, you would talk to your friend about like, hey, have you tried th this whatever? And it's just like kind of trivial. But at the same time, it's just shows you about the character you know this guy is kind of like like a new age hippie but at the same time um a bit of a hermit and opposed to what you think of a hermit he's also just sweet and welcoming and open to everyone like it it, it tells you a lot about the character um and it's also kind of fun to listen to and i think that's a big part of it is not every piece of conversation has to be like this is integral to the story or whatever. Sometimes it's really nice just to hear a fun conversation that makes you laugh or makes you feel like you're relating to someone. And I think that that's evident in the story as well have, as having those big conversations about the main theme and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing that I want to pass by you and get your thoughts on is, so watching it, it reminded me a lot of Snowpiercer. And if anyone knows me, I really, really love Snowpiercer. <laughs> like, I think that's a great movie. Um, but it reminded me of it in the same way where both of those movies, I think, spell out a lot for you. So Children of Men, it literally starts with, like, Baby Diego. Also, I'm going to spoil a lot of Children of Men and Snowpiercer here. In case you haven't seen them, go watch them, then come back to this episode. Um, so children of men like you get the vibe that there was this 2008 influenza they tell you that you pretty much get the vibe that it's linked to this infertility political immigration like they they tell you a good amount about it but they don't say like here's how everything works here's everything and you kind of just get a feel of that that will really um fill out your mental image of it as you go along, whether it's through character interactions or XYZ kind of thing. And Snowpiercer did that a lot too, whether it's with like, how do they eat? And then they introduce protein blocks and you get to kind of view that. And there's a lot of 
subtlety to it. And one of the things that I think really resonates with me, and I've had this opinion for a long time, is I think audiences are a lot smarter than people give them credit for. So there's things that you can just kind of hint at. And it's actually fun for me as a viewer to say like, oh, shit, well, they mentioned this before, and now I'm getting this information. And neither of them are complete pictures, but they're kind of puzzle pieces that I can put together and really fill out this world just from me paying attention and being invested in it. And I think that's something that's really, really underrated and not a whole lot of people try and really use. Um, that was something I got a lot of, out of the movie and I got a lot out of it too. What's your take on it? I, I, you know, I think that's just kind of necessary because of the point of view, because we're seeing everything through Theo's eyes. Um, so so I think one of the strong points of the movie is you're always you're always meeting people in the midst of a journey. It's never at the beginning of something. So, you know, when Julian approaches him about this thing she wants him to do, um, you know, this woman is already pregnant and she's got this baby and it's, you know, only a matter of time before it happens. So he's kind of thrown into this in the middle of this um, kind of important mission and he's not sure about it. And while it's all going down, um, things change uh, so quickly. But everyone that's involved in it is already on their way through another personal journey or doing something for themselves. Um, and it, and I think that's why it feels so. Uh, the whole world feels so believable because everyone is always everyone like the world is is doing their kind of own thing, um, and people's attention. Um, I think is always being uh, drawn towards the the main uh, issue in the film and the main thing. Um, so you're never really like going at it like this is the beginning of Theo's journey. Like he's just quit his job and and then suddenly this you know thing. It's almost like there's no time for adjustment. You just have to move so quickly. Um, and that's kind of how the film feels in general. Yeah, even like the the style and technique of the filmmaking where you see these long takes of kind of quick decisions that need to be made and and, and they have kind of huge effects like specifically the scene where he decides to take key and escape in the car um and they're rolling down the hill to me that's one of the, the best scenes in the film because it was so good he he listens to a conversation in the middle of it he kind of happens to hear what they're planning he doesn't even have time to get his shoes grabs key gets in the car and now they're trying to escape and it's not going well um and and the great thing about this movie is in other movies like stealing a car and escaping is always done in haste and they're trying to do it as fast as possible but they shoot it as slow as, as possible they're doing one take to let it go very slowly up until it gets to the bottom of the hill and even then it's barely barely moving they just barely get away and and all of it is like a decision made on a whim where you're just kind of trusting your gut um and it's so immediate and i think that's kind of why it works so well because in in terms of exposition in other films you'll instead of having that kind of like quick exchange of information where someone has to think quickly it's usually like all right let's sit in a boardroom and just blather a bunch of crap to the uh, audience through characters <laughs> Whereas in this case, we're seeing this guy who's kind of unsure of what's going on, a little distrustful, who happens to kind of um, eavesdrop on, on something that he probably shouldn't have heard. And he 
quickly reacts to it. And, and we're getting exposition, but we're also seeing his character make a choice there that's so strong. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why it works so well and as the movie goes on, because you see him make choices um, that are pretty bold, even though when you see his life as a whole, you kind of feel like he's a pathetic person, but you start to have respect <laughs> for him as he gets to the end of the movie. Yeah, totally. And I want to touch on Theo real quick. I mean, I know this was based off a book, and I'm sure a lot of the credit goes to the book, which I have not read. But one of my favorite parts about it was that he is essentially just a regular dude. Like, I think he he's bureaucratic in some way. Like, he's not James Bond. He's not a cop. He's nothing to do with violence or anything like that. And to me, if the movie was like, this is secret agent Theo, I would have been like, oh, fuck off (laughs) it's so much better because he doesn't have those skills um that's a little side rant but i was going to say on the note of things that the movie did right which is everything um how you mentioned like you know he gets to this safe house and then he hears that these people are going to kill him so they break out slow car chase um one of the things that the movie does best i think is the pacing because i was talking to latif about this earlier Um, so I love that it's always like going up and then you come down a little bit, but then they'll introduce something new. So it goes right back up and it constantly feels like the movie is leveling up itself and adding new layers and new threats and new things for them to overcome. And whenever it's in a lull, it's always impactful because you'll either learn some new information, like in the scene right before they steal a car. Or you'll just be hanging out with Michael Caine in a lull where you just really get to see these characters interact. And, you know, they also come up with plans with what they're going to do and everything. So that serves a purpose, too. But those scenes never go on for very long. And as they end, almost you could argue, like, right before most people would end them. Like, I think if there was another director or another screenwriter, those scenes would probably go on for a little while longer. But where they actually chose to end them, I felt was, like, almost overlapping with the next scene, and it just kept escalating things. And I thought that just made the the pacing and my investment in the movie just a 10 out of 10. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think big credit goes there to the filmmaker, Alfonso Cuaron, because, you know, not only is he a writer, he's also the director, but he also edits his films, too. Um, I know he works with people, but he's there editing the film as well. And he's one of those filmmakers that I've always loved. And ever since I saw this movie, I've always been a fan of because he's so hands-on with his stuff. And... And that's why I'm always excited to see what he does next, because I know he's going to be very involved in the decision making. Um, and I think this movie is an example of him just making all the right choices. So, you know, the choice to end a scene, I'm not sure if it was written that way or if it was cut that way. But I, I feel like every scene kind of plays the exact right amount that you want it to. So I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, totally. And one of the things that like you'll always hear in terms of filmmakers and what makes a movie good is if the filmmaker has confidence in what they're doing. And to me, this is like the best example of so much confidence, not only because, you know, the pacing's great, the writing's good, the directing's really good, but because he uses these one shots so much that he had to be very confident in all of his choices and every single one of them just works so well. So like, to me, I think there's... 
I really love oners. Like I'm a big, big fan. Uh, I haven't done a ton of them in my movies because, you know, we're making movies on very little money. We've done a couple and the ones that we have done, I've actually really, really liked. But to me, there's always something that really puts me in the scene a lot more when it is a oner compared to if it's cutting back and forth. And I'm not saying like only do oners. There's, you know, there's a lot of reasons to cut and do coverage and everything. But specifically with Children of Men, the way he uses all of these wonders, to me, it was just like he was that guy that just walks into a bar and you're like, this guy is the shit. Like, this guy fucks. And he <laughs> has confidence, you know? <laughs> and to see a film that's like so confident and just like, no, I know what I want to be and this is how I'm going to do it. I think that really translated through the screen. Well, I think in hindsight, definitely feels that way. But I'm, I'm probably sure that he was like nervous as hell trying to make these decisions. But <laughs> I, I think, I actually think Roma might be his most confident film because that's a pretty, that's a pretty bold uh, choice as a film in general. I think, but I, I, you know, I do think the the choices made in Children of Men are, you know, incredibly um, powerful. Uh, for the movie as a whole. So to wrap up the children men th- men talk, um, what do you take away from this in terms of your making your own movies and your own filmmaking? Um, well, uh, I think that's the thing. I always have this gripe because I hear people talk about like Andre Tarkovsky this way, and and he, people love Tarkovsky, and I'm not gonna say anything bad about him because I think he's you know, one of the greatest filmmakers as well. But there's always this kind of like, oh, Tarkovsky has no influences. He, you know, if it even looks like another film, he'll get rid of the shot. I'm like, well, I can't work that way. You know, I can't be Tarkovsky. Um, uh, Because I'm influenced by other movies. And I think like, even if the subject matter of my films are different from Children of Men, there's always some (laughs) tie to it even in, in a visual, I'm always, I think a part of me is always going to be chasing it uh, just because I, I loved the movie so much. Uh, it, and it's one of those, because like for some people, like they're in their thing that wanted them to do it was like they saw Star Wars when they were a kid. I, I feel kind of lucky that I got to see this and, and have it impact me in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually really excited to see how I call it synthesize this into my own work because i think it's undeniable like 99 percent of filmmakers you're going to kind of chameleon what you like steal and you know redirect into your own work and like i just watched this movie less than 24 hours ago but my internal gears are just spinning like crazy and i can't wait to even the biggest thing that i think i'm going to try and take away is when to cut scenes and how to evolve them into the next scene because i and like i said everything about this movie to me is a 10 out of 10 but that's the one thing that i'm like whoo that's real good i want to try and steal that yeah and I, and i think it's good to have that kind of you know that thing in you you know every well not every filmmaker but all you know a lot of the filmmakers i really like all have like a movie that they've that they were chasing early in their career just because like it, it they loved it so much you know for mm-hmm. you know, i think for christopher nolan it was uh heat 
the Michael Mann movie and um, I know like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was really affected by a lot of the work by Robert Altman and I think David Fincher had a lot of uh, influence by the work of Ridley Scott um, mm. you know and for me it's I think it's unde- undeniable like Children of Men's got had a huge influence on me so um, I think when you find that one thing, learn as much as you can from it and uh, kind of pave your own way from there. Totally. All right, so enough gushing about Children of Men. Um, let's jump on these other two movies you're talking about. Like you had three that really sent you to film school. So before we transition into film school, tell us about the other two and why they influenced you so much. Yeah, the other was The Tree of Life. I think I've mentioned this before. So the Terrence Malick film that came out in 2010, I think. Um, yeah, I, I saw this on Netflix, I think, um, on like a s- pretty small TV in, in my old studio. I think I remember watching something with Brad Pitt in it. It might have been like Benjamin Button for the first time and thinking, oh, yeah, he's, he's a pretty good actor, not knowing who Brad Pitt really was because um, I'm so early into like looking at different movies and then I saw The Tree of Life and I thought okay I'll watch this this looks interesting and I remember falling asleep the first time I was, I was watching it um, not because the movie was boring uh, some people might argue uh, with me about that but I was just tired and I didn't know how long the movie was and then I remember falling asleep <laughs> And then the next day I was like, okay, I'm going to finish it. But I was working late and I tried to watch it again and I remember falling asleep again. Um, but eventually I got through the movie, but I, I remember being really kind of impacted by it. I liked it a lot. I liked how the, how it looked specifically. And I, I think I related to the most, the most with the family dynamic in the film because it felt so relatable and, and it kind of, felt like a mirror like i was i was watching my own family at some points um but it's so far from removed from you know my actual reality you know this is set in texas in the 1950s and i even now i can look at this and be like i know what that's like i think in particular seeing like the kids just run around the neighborhood and you know doing what kids do felt so much like how how i grew up um and, and i think that was just the first time I saw a movie that I connected to that in, in that kind of strong way. Um, so Tree of Life was the second one, I think after Children of Men that, that made me feel that way. Um, and ironically, they're both shot by uh, Chivo. So, <laughs> And sorry, before you launch into the third one, I got to ask for Tree of Life, what do you think you borrowed the most for your, your filmmaking? Uh, I think being unconventional, you know, um, breaking away from just the standard linear narrative. Um, you know, I've made some kind of smaller experimental shorts that kind of wander and do strange things. And I, and I do kind of relate that to how I saw Tree of Life. It was like fragments of memories. Um, and I think if any film captures um, kind of cycling through memories the best, it would be the tree of life. I think Terrence Malick has nailed that kind of 
what it's like to go back and remember things through his filmmaking process. I really, I really feel like that's how you, how I think about it sometimes. You know, when I think back about my childhood, I remember moments in detail like that, but they always jump. And I remember different people and places and um, stuff like that. And that movie just feels like how I would think about those things. So that's kind of stuck with me. And All right. Number three, what you got? Yeah, the third movie I saw that I, I felt really influenced by, it was right around the time I was deciding I wanted to go to film school. It was called, um, sorry, it's called uh, The Place Beyond the Pines. Uh, it's directed by Derek Sainz, France. And I, I, I don't know, there's something about that movie. I saw it in theaters, luckily, again. Um... And I remember, you know, when, when it got to the final shot of the movie, when you see him driving off on the bike, I remember thinking, wow, that was, that was just like a big kind of complicated story. And there's a lot to unpack there. But I remember feeling very complete by the time the movie was done, even though there were a lot of like loose threads. Um, the film felt to me about kind of like um, reconciliation and, and kind of forgiveness um, and legacy and stuff like that and and I was thinking about that in some ways and, and, and that film kind of went through all of that without really talking about it because it was just really focused on the experiences of you know these characters um, and it, it, in the scope of a story for a movie it's such a small story in, in a small place, but it feels kind of universal as well. Like I think a lot of people can relate to moments and feelings that they had. Um, sometimes you think of it in, in a way of like nostalgia or lost time. And um, I think as I get older, I'm gonna appreciate a lot more as well. But I still really do love the, the film. And another cinematographer who I really love, Sean Bobbitt shot the film and I thought um, the film looked amazing and he's also done some really other great films with uh, Steve McQueen so along with the storytelling the cinematography is just something I really love about that movie yeah I gotta say like this one's the one that like I think is the strangest of the three if you, you would ask me like here's three films one of them is a lie which two influenced Latif I would say the first two. And I'd be like, this one, maybe not so much. So what, and it's not that it's like, I'm not ripping on the movie or anything. I just feel it's a lot different than those first two. So like, what about it? Well, that's funny. In that way. <laughs> I think, I think if you gave that list to anyone else, they would say the tree of life is the, the most different out of them. Um, <laughs> but um, it's funny that you picked the place beyond the pines, but that, I don't know that movie it it kind of it's a mixture of all of that. I think between those three films, there's there's kind of significant things that each director does that they share that I really respond well to. Um, you know, one is the choice of um, uh, music and film. Um, I think Derek's uh, saying friends has a great taste and he and he put some great music in his films. Um, you know, going back to Blue Valentine, um, but also this movie. And then um, 
uh, Terrence Malick, I think, you know, everyone knows he's got like this huge library of classical uh, compositions and, and modern classical music that he, he'll take from and put in his films. And it's amazing because I've never seen anyone use uh, classical music in the way he does, uh, where it doesn't feel like a cliche. It feels like it lives with the images that he's creating. Like they're, you know, born to be together, which sounds weird because they're made in different times. And and even uh, Alfonso Cuarón's choice of music in Children of Man is so sparse but haunting. You know, um, the track fragments of a prayer that he uses, it repeats through the film. But, you know, think of that as in, in, in a theme like fragments of a prayer, you're holding on to like the small hope represented through the kid and it plays throughout the movie and it's haunting um it's repeated and it's like the pulse that keeps you going until the end and they use it again at the end and it's just um another great choice and another thing that's consistent across those directors so i think like aesthetically as well the cinematography in all three films is fantastic and it's a testament to the dps and the directors collaborating and, and them having a good idea of how they want it to look. And I think that's always something that grabs me. I pay attention to a lot of how a film hits me based on how it looks. Do you think that's what draws you to cinematography? Yeah, I, you know, I, I appreciate like a strong, polished look. Um, and I also appreciate something with the little rough edges that that's still kind of lend itself to the the kind of tone that you're trying to imbue in your story you know the tree of tree of life um children of men and the place beyond the pines all look different but they're connected to their stories fundamentally you know the ch children of men has a very kind of you know grim kind of apathetic gray look to it but there's glimmers of like light and beauty there um the tree of life um, it's got like this incredibly natural but larger than life look to it as well because everything that's photographed feels so important even though it's so kind of mundane and part of normal life um, and, and with the place beyond the pines um, the cinematography is stark and it's very bold but it's not perfect on purpose it doesn't feel like refined to the point it feels commercial you can feel that the camera is almost you know kind of exposing the truth of every moment it feels like it's with the characters it feels like it's not trying to trick the viewer it always feels like this is what you're gonna see and you have to live with it which is an interesting you know that i felt like it was like partially a documentary but it looked better it looked like it was shot very well but it felt like it was like happening in real time. And I really appreciate it about that, um, that movie in general. Well, I think you couldn't ask for a better reply than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in particular, look at the scenes where he's driving through the forest. They shoot that on this long lens. It's like crazy. Um, I've never seen anything like that before. And I thought that was like an amazing example of doing something interesting. And then the shots of the, the characters, the father driving on the motorcycle down the road, and then later on it cuts to the son riding his bike down the road with this kind of high angle from behind. 
I thought it was like a, a great kind of connection of images. It's so simple, but it feels like it's um, doing something more. It's not just showing you a cliche way to shoot something. It's showing me something different. So, you know, I'd, you know, I'd say go visit that if you haven't seen it before. It's kind of a, I think, underrated movie. Awesome. I dig it. I actually might have to try watching that one again, too, because I think I watched that maybe nine years ago. It was before I'd even gotten into film, so I might I might need to do another viewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So move on. Topic number two, film school. Um, before I start asking you some questions, I think it might just be a good idea if you said a little bit about your experience what do you think and we'll go from there yeah i mean so after all these movies that inspired me i I did go to film school um i think i i ended god i can't remember i think it was 2013 i enrolled and it's a one-year program at vancouver film school and the film production program i entered i'm gonna ask you something real quick before you keep going did you yeah. only seek out VFS? Why'd you do VFS? <laughs> I guess this is an ode to advertisement. I saw a VFS billboard on the Skytrain. I thought, huh, maybe I'll go there. Um, <laughs> I didn't even look at other film schools. I just thought Vancouver Film School. I, I haven't heard of any other film schools in Vancouver, so that's probably the only one. So I actually didn't even bother looking at any other schools. Um, <laughs> I make those kind of poor choices a lot, but... Um, you know, I don't regret my time, but that's what, that's how I chose VFS. It was just like advertising. That's awesome. Sorry. I didn't mean continue. Yeah. I went to the one year film production program and in, in my class, there was like unusually small class, but a part of me feels like it was actually a kind of a blessing. Um, it's a very small class, but I got to know all my classmates very well. And what was your overall experience? Um, I there are ups and downs. Like there are times where it was rocky, and there are times when I felt it was incredibly useful. Um, I think the more focused it gets later into the program, the more useful it becomes. Um, but when it's at its most general and broad point, that's kind of when it's the most useless. So I I, I feel like it helps to kind of know what you want going into it. But 90% of people who go to the VFS film program want to be directors. Um, and then after two terms, they find out that they maybe don't want to be a director, that they want to be a cinematographer or an editor or a producer or something, a production designer. Uh, so a, a part of it is like learning what you want to do. Um, and a part of it is also just like doubling down on the skills that you might be good at. And I think it's finding that. And I found very early, I knew I wanted to be a director and I wanted to write my own stories and make them. But I kind of took a, an alternative route and thought, well, no one's going to hire me out of film school as a director. Um, so I shouldn't like bank on that. I'm going to like audit the directing classes, but I'm going to specialize in editing and cinematography because I need to learn some hard skills so I can work after film school. So that's the direction I chose. And uh, personally, I've, I've found that to be the best way to go because I actually learned something technical as opposed to learning like theory about directing, which I think is kind of useless because everyone kind of learns their own way to direct as they 
kind of progress in their career. I'm guessing you were one of the few that were insightful enough to say, I need to do these other things not everyone's doing because I want to work. Well, in hindsight, that makes sense. But at the time, I was just really interested in uh, camera and editing because um, I thought that's what directors did. I thought they made their films. You know what I mean? Like I, I thought Steven Spielberg was holding the camera on his shoulder and pressing the button on the keyboard. <laughs> and I was like, isn't that what directors do? So I wanted to do that. Um, but also, I, I've always been so hands-on. It felt like it felt like it would be a crime for me not to know how to do it if I was going to do it. <laughs> you know, I don't want to like wear a hat and pretend I I knew how to you know make a movie. I wanted to really know how to make a movie. If I got kicked out of the city and no one wanted to help me make a movie, I wanted to be able to do it by myself. So that was kind of my my way into it. And I've always kind of remained insular in that I, I don't like to be part of big things because I just kind of like going on my own speed. And I think film school was the same. I didn't want to buy into a dream. I wanted to like learn something useful for myself. I got to say that actually is super insightful. If I know if it was me and I have a feeling the majority of the people that go to film school would do this too, they would chase that dream. I know I would have been like, no, I'm going to make this movie. I don't need to learn about editing. Someone else can do that. I'm going to be the director. <laughs> and that's all I would have done. And then I would have got out of film school and been like, why won't anyone give me jobs? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I, I didn't go to every directing class but i did audit some of them and i learned a little bit and i think there was a lot of useful information there i think some of the stronger instructors were in the directing program um so uh, a bunch of my friends did take the directing um course and they learned a lot of different things they learned about directing animation and stuff which i never learned so there's a lot of cool things that they got exposed to that i didn't but at the same time, I don't regret the choice I made because I got kind of a heads up because um, I, I, I felt pretty strong about my editing skills going into film school already. Um, but I was able to like get my workflows and learn how to sync things properly and have like organized projects, which was like a huge benefit. But in terms of cinematography, I had no backbone, like I had nothing to start with. So everything I learned about shooting, I learned from film school. Um, and luckily I had a really great cinematography instructor who was kind of tough on me, but like in a nice way. So by the time I got to the end of the program, I felt like I could confidently shoot something by myself without being afraid to do it. And, and to me, that was like the, the biggest boost in terms of like doing anything afterwards, because I could, you know, because after that, when you came to me and said, Let, can we shoot a feature film? Instead of being like, I don't know, I'm scared. I was like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's make it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. So moving forward, before I really start getting into the specifics, you graduate. What is your, how does film school change your outlook for what you're going to do after you graduate? Well, pretty much after the program they kick you out of the school and you don't get access to anything anymore and a part of it is them you know i i get it and a part of me thinks like that's great because it makes you kind of realize how tough this industry is but a part of me is like that's also really shitty because it's an expensive program and 
it seems like they only um, offer support to people once they've done something big um, and everyone else can go uh, sit on the curb. <laughs> like, I, I'm not exactly sure. But I'm, I don't want to shit on this school completely because there have been a couple of times where I needed a screening room and they would give me like a place to screen a short film or something. So I'm not going to completely shit on the school. But I'm, I, I'm a little hesitant to recommend anyone listening to be like, yeah, go to VFS, it's great. Because there are other options and there are other options that are a little cheaper as well. And it, and I, you know, luckily I got like, it's what they call a scholarship. I see more of it as a bursary. I, you know, I got a little bit of money because I had made some stuff before. So like, we'll give you the scholarship. Uh, and I got a, a pretty good discount on my tuition at the school. So for me, it wasn't too expensive. Now, for someone coming from India or Mexico uh, or Korea to go to VFS, it's going to cost you 50 grand. <laughs> um, that's a lot of cash. That's for one year. It's a one-year program, but 50 grand for a year, you have to really think about, is this worth it? For example, in, in Focus Film School is another school in Vancouver, and I think their tuition is twenty around 20 grand. And for international, it's around 23 grand. So it's a very small difference. But in VFS, it's an extra like $15,000 for international students. Um, and I, I think when I was there, I was questioning a lot of the instructors. There's some that were like great, really great instructors who I learned a lot from. There's some that were former students. And I was like, I don't want to learn from you. First of all, <laughs> you suck at what you do. Um, Second of all, you have no idea what you're talking about. You just went to this school. <laughs> so, you know, part of me feels like um, be wary because VFS is a for-profit school, right? It's not um, regulated by uh, the public system. Um, so ultimately, their goal is to make as much money as possible. And some of their uh, practices have changed a little. Um, when I went there, I got to apply and then get a little bit of money and I entered into schools is a pretty nice deal. But now there's a hundred dollar application fee for VFS, which makes no sense to me. Um, really? Yeah. The, there's a hundred dollar application fee. Um, and obviously that's the, lame. There's an easy, like, Oh, there's a lot of paperwork. We get many applications. So you also make a lot of money on applications. Um, and a hundred bucks is not a small amount of money for a student especially to apply for something. I went to Langara College as well. I had no application fees. <laughs> I could just sign up for the course I want and pay the tuition. But uh, I think any school that takes a $100 application fee should really be offering something valuable. And it should be an incredibly um, competitive school with um, you know a high turnout rate for like su successful students or something. Um, and... To me, that's not the case with VFS. Their visual effects program has a lot of working grads, uh, definitely. But I think the film production program, you have to be careful and, and assess like what your amount of risk is because um, a one-year program is sounds nice because it's quick. But the issue with a one-year program is if, if your one-year program is not going the way you expected, it's very tough to get a refund on that. Um, so you're going to lose a lot of money maybe four months into it 
And then you're going to be like, well, I've already lost this much money. I might as well keep going. And to me, that's part of the trick of VFS is they get you in for a short term, get as much money as they can as quick as possible. So when it's too late, you're, you're not going to want to bail. I, even in my class, I had people who dropped out and wanted some of their money back, which they got some refunds on. But um, it's hard to hold a school accountable when you're only committed to them for a short amount of time. Whereas if you go to a four-year college and you're paying tuition per semester by the amount of classes you take, it makes sense because you get what you pay for. With VFS, you don't know what you're paying for right off the bat. Um, you get a lot of impressive marketing, which I got, <laughs> which is why I went to the school. Now, I think I got a lot of value from my time there because I tried really, really hard. I wanted to get as much information from the program as possible. So I spent a lot of time with equipment. I got a lot of opportunities because I would seek them out. And I would volunteer on other projects. I would work with other um, departments like the screenwriting department and shoot their short films. I would work with like the producing department and edit one of their films. Um, and these are from different campuses. Uh, so they're not part of the film production program. So I'd like reach out to different campuses and, and work with different programs and get as much as I could out of it. Um, and I would pitch for bonus projects so I could get a little bit of equipment to shoot extra things. So I milked as much as I could from my VFS experience. So this is not the kind of school where you want to just like show up and maybe you'll coast through and, and something nice will happen. You have to like work so hard and be really competitive. And you're also going to get some classes that are a total waste of your time from people who have <laughs> no idea what they're talking about. Um, and there are some classes where I just wanted to s skip and some I did, but they, but they do start to dock you for not going to some classes or whatever. But I thought, you know, if you're going to ask me to come to class then give me a good instructor who knows what they're talking about, not some like shitty filmmaker who can only get a job at VFS who doesn't really know what they're talking about. So, you know, be careful, look at the instructors, try to learn about who they are and what they know. Uh, when I went to Langara College, I looked at the, because you can look at the reviews of your instructors, I looked at the reviews of every teacher I took a class from, and I, I would only take classes from teachers who got positive reviews. Um, and that meant sometimes I would have to wait an extra semester to take a course because the class was full when I wanted to apply. So I'd wait, but I got all the teachers I wanted, and my time at Langara was great because I had amazing professors for every course I took. With VFS, you don't get to have that kind of screening. Um, a film school is not the same as a, um, a college. You're going to get like a huge variety of people teaching you classes, and there isn't like a standard curriculum. They can pretend like there is, but really sometimes a teacher might be away and you're going to get a TA teaching you. And a, a teaching assistant is really like a graduate who's looking for uh, work when they graduate. So um, film schools will hire graduates to be teaching assistants. Um, and it'll seem like an opportunity, but really it's a cheap way to employ people to teach in your school, which I think is kind of a bad thing in reality. Uh, so, you know, these are things to think about and be and, and really consider because although there are benefits to Vancouver Film School, I can't speak on any other film school, only this one because I went there. There are a lot of downsides as well. So you really got to be careful because it's a lot of money. And if you're not going to be like 
super focused and, and spend a lot of time learning as much as you can, you're going to really feel like you wasted your money. Because a lot of my classmates felt that way. I didn't personally because I really wanted it. But uh, it, it's not a place you can coast through. Um, and, and you're also going to be disappointed a lot as well. So much good stuff in there. So much. Um, one, the first thing I want to talk about is where you mentioned like this is only one year, so there's no redirection or anything like that. I'll say this with I never went to college or anything, but one thing that I know about pretty well everyone that goes to college is around year two or three, they start reevaluating and saying like, okay, you know, I came here for X, but instead I'm really enjoying Y. So maybe I'll kind of go in that different direction. And even if you were to translate that to film, I would imagine if you're doing a four-year film program, maybe it's, I went there for directing. I did two years of that, but you know what? I had this editing course that I really, really dug. And then on year three, you're like, I'm kind of liking editing more than I'm liking directing. I can imagine, like you said, if when that's VFS or an equivalent school, that's only one year and it's synthesized down to one year, you get four months in and it's like, well, do I change to editing now but it, it's already over and it, even if I do change I probably won't get as much out of it as if I just keep going with this directing path so I could definitely see how there would be downsides in that area and same with teachers like when you said make sure you look up your teachers I would imagine if it's only one year program then you might not be able to look up your teachers beforehand you might have to pay your fee and then look up your teachers and just be like ah oh, everyone says these teachers suck well I guess that's what I get. Yeah, and you know, there's no there's no tenure at VFX, right? They're switching teachers like every year, you know, um, for certain departments. There's some who have been there for a while, and I think those are the ones that I kind of trust. But those are teachers that I've had in my program as well. You know, for example, my cinematography instructor, he's still teaching there now. Um, but he was really good at what he was doing and he kind of explained things in a very clear way but the directing staff was all over the place because um, when we started we had a great directing uh, instructor team and then something happened and then a bunch of them quit basically because there was some issue at vfs and then they got a bunch of like random people to show up and teach directing who had no idea what they were talking about and it partly made me really happy i didn't specialize in directing because the end of the program for directing turned into a shit show so yeah those those are definitely kind of red flags for me um because i need to know like who i'm learning from and i need to know that they've you know done what they do for enough time that it's useful to me uh and, and that's i think the scary thing is you, you just don't know who you're learning from sometimes uh, and and there are other films there are other film programs that you should look into and not jump in like I did. You know, there's one at Capilano. I'm talking about Vancouver, uh, Lower Mainland specifically. There's one at Capilano. There's one at Langara College. There's a film program at BCIT, I think. You know, there's In Focus Film School, which I talked about. Um, and there's VFS. So look into everything and see what, what makes sense to you. But one question that I really, really want to ask is you said a lot of your classmates felt like they wasted their time and their money. Why? Um, a lot of it was, I think, due to the problems I outlined. You know, people felt like they weren't getting what they were worth in terms of education. Like, 
some of the Even instructors in terms of like what they spent because it is so expensive yeah because because i had maybe three four people that were from canada in my class including me and everyone else was uh international so for them they were like this is not worth you know the money i've spent because sometimes teachers wouldn't be there or sometimes we'd get a teaching assistant like leading a class or something and it was clear that they didn't really know what they were talking about or that they just didn't care like we'd be handed like some stupid worksheet and we had to fill out like stupid answers to some stupid questions and a lot, that would just get annoying and sometimes it, it felt like a waste of time and I, I think it's important I for me I think it's important for you to I guess on the part of the people taking the program to kind of know what you what you're interested in. Um, VFS VFS is not a place to go if you you like film but you don't know what part of it you like because it's so short and you're gonna kind of be like rushed into like choosing something. Um, I think a longer film program is gonna be better for that because you'll get a taste of everything in longer exposures. That way you have a better idea of what you're more comfortable and attracted to whereas a one-year program you know things go so quickly you're and, and it's so kind of frustrating at times um because you have to pitch for roles and maybe you want to be a dp but you never get a, get a shot to do something as a dp now you're going to be discouraged for, um, from doing that especially with such a short program so you know the benefit for me was i found out quickly what i wanted but i think for some of my classmates they were in that process of learning what they wanted to do but the program didn't allow for that. It kind of like rushes you into making choices you're not sure about. That sounds like a fucking nightmare, dude. <laughs> so yeah. I'll give, um, when I first moved to Vancouver, I guess it would have been literally right when I met Latif or probably right before. Um, I was thinking, you know, I came here to do movies. I've did this, I did a tiny little eight week course at Ottawa, which I barely feel as a course. It was more like dipping your toe in the water. And I've written, some light things like I definitely hadn't written a feature I maybe wrote one short um but kind of dabbling you know and I thought mm -hmm. hey maybe I'll go to Vancouver Film School I remember logging onto the site seeing that fifty thousand dollars not knowing it was for international students and as soon as I saw that I was like well that's not gonna happen and that's all I looked into it <laughs> but I could imagine an alternate universe where I did go through with it, you know, one reason or another, uh, I said, fuck it to the 50 grand and I bit the bullet. I would have been one of those students that was totally forced to choose. And I bet you, I would have been one of the people that didn't get what they wanted out of it. Um, so I can only say this through the thought of trying to envision alternate realities. But if you are someone like Latif just described and you do really want to explore the schooling route, yeah, I would say aim for the four-year program. I think that's a good call. Yeah, I mean, it's the same amount as like any college degree would be anyways, right? So you're, you're spending the same amount of time, but it's just more focused on the film thing. But, you know, look at what they're teaching because every, every program will give you a curriculum of what it goes through. So just look at what they're offering and what the program is structured like. And if it looks like you'll, you know, get a lot out of it and it, and it excites you, then that's what you want to go for. You know, going through uh, four years is a, is a you know big chunk of time. But 
the the big benefit for me, even with my one year program, was I made some really really good friends in that time, who I still um, talk to and have conversations about films and ideas, and we hang out and um, you know if anyone if any of us got a shot to do something bigger, we'd call on each other to work on each other's projects, and and to me that's invaluable. Um, and you, you know, I might have met those people if I just got onto film sets, but um, they would be different people. The people who I've met specifically at film school are great people, and I really like them. And I'm glad that I got to meet them. And it's just by random chance that we all ended up in that same film program. So that's kind of a a huge thing. Um, and I wouldn't have met those specific people if I didn't choose to go to film school. So for me, I, you know, I can't replace that. That's incredibly valuable to me. Totally. And one thing I think that's interesting to note for the one year versus the four year on that same topic is you met those people because they all happened to go to VFS during that same year, where if someone went to a four year program, you know, maybe you're in year three and someone happens to start year one but you just hit it off with that person and you know you're creative yin yang and you're meant to work together so you have like three additional years to meet these future collaborators with so that's something that i don't think you can really overstate you know i think it partially has to do with being open to that as well because it film school can be very competitive obviously and you're going to meet people who want the same job that you do but I think one of the benefits is learning that you have to like make friends and, and work with other people in order to do something. Um, and that amount of time, even even if it's a year, you get to see people's habits. You get to see how de- determined people are, how motivated people are, and, and also get a, a sense of someone's uh, aesthetics or sensibility when it comes to creating something. Um, and you can't completely do that on a film set because sometimes you'll meet someone working on some stupid Hallmark commercial that you don't care about and you don't know if they care about it or not either and you and you really don't have anything in common with them of course you can find that out but you, you kind of do that covertly in a way in film school because you, you're forced to work with these people over a long period of time but in that you get to go out for your uh, food and talk and hang out at the beach and all, all the nice things that come along with that as well. So that actually segues perfectly into a question that I wanted to ask. What was the work-life balance like at VFS? Because I could imagine as a one-year program, like they are just throwing everything on you. You have so much weight on your shoulders, where comparatively to a four-year program, you would probably have a lot more time to, you know, do your schoolwork, do your homework, but then go out, meet people, party, have that time of your life, and really just have to be more manageable. How did you find it? And also, because I'm going to forget to ask it later, I'll just ask it now. What do you think the dropout rate of your class was? You know, our program was five days a week, and then sometimes we had like extra assignments on the weekends. So five days a week, how long each day? Um, it could be like two to three classes. So it could be six hours. It could be three hours. It could be eight hours. Uh, so it, it just it varied, but we would go to school every day, and it would be at least um, three hours uh, minimum. 
so you know it, it felt intense because you're going every day and you're always doing something the bad part is sometimes you felt like you're wasting your time right so you have to wake up and go to this class and you're like oh this is stupid why am i here but for the times when it felt you know useful like you're in a, a workshop and there's lights and you got to like light a set that would be exciting and awesome and you'd want to be there it was challenging so it depends um but it's also it's not typical college where you're just sitting on your ass all day like sometimes you're doing like incredibly exhausting things you're moving equipment in and out of trucks you're setting up lights you're lifting you know heavy like uh backdrops for film sets and stuff it, it gets pretty exhausting sometimes too especially when you're doing like a uh, group projects for the end of term that's when it gets really tiring because you're working overtime you're not only going to school but you're staying extra hours on sets to make sure they're built by the time you shoot so the responsibilities add up so it's not something you can just kind of like show up and like eh. Because if you're not playing your part as well, your classmates are going to start to hate you. So you have to work hard and work <laughs> as a team, show up. Um, you can't be that guy, you know, in group projects in school, that one guy who just kind of doesn't do anything but still passes because um, he's part of your group. You can't be that guy here because at some point you're going to have to be accountable for your own film too. So if you screw that up, then it's on you. So... Um, there, you know, there's good and bad to it, but it's not a walk in the park. It's incredibly tiring. You know, I couldn't have a part-time job when I went to VFS. You know, so I had to just go to school, and that was my life. Um, and I had to eat a lot of Subway because that's all I could afford. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that real quick, too, because I had a feeling you were going to say that when you were going there, that's all you could do. You can't work or anything. That's another thing that must differ greatly from a four-year program. Like you always hear people in four-year programs have part-time jobs and then the summer they work full-time to save up some cash. And I'm sure they accumulate debt. I'm not trying to say they just breeze through it. But it would seem like it would be uh, more sustainable, I'll use for lack of a better term. Yeah, I, when I went to college, I had a part-time job as well at a restaurant. Um, and I was able to do that and go to school and balance it. So, you, you know, you can't do that in VFS. So you'll need to have enough money saved up for a year to, to go to school, um, as well as pay the tuition. That's a huge investment. Um, yeah. And those, if you're not from there, paying rent and food and all that kind of stuff too. Yeah, and like I... I I sympathize with my classmates who are who aren't from Vancouver because they had to really put it on the line to to come here. So um, for me, it's not as difficult because I have a place to live. I'm in the city. Everything is familiar to me. But imagine coming from Mexico to Vancouver to go to this expensive film school. Now you got to figure out where to live. You have to pay for rent and um, food and transportation and all that other stuff. And you also can't have a job. Um, it's crazy, right? It's it's a huge, huge thing to take on. Um, so, I, you know, I, th I think I forgot to mention that earlier because it wasn't part of my experience, but it is a serious thing to think about. Arguably the biggest question, I think, do you think the way that one-year programs like VFS sell themselves are genuine? Or do you think that when people go into this, they really don't get the full picture of what they're signing up for? Mm, I think they give you a partial idea 
they I think they sell you the best points and and what what they aspire for you to learn but you never fully get what you're paying for they also don't tell you all the downsides because which company is going to sell you its downsides but the problem is uh evident i think when once you start to go there um you know for us like we they were changing to a new facility when i was in the program so at times we wouldn't have like classrooms we'd be like oh go to this building there's a room there for you guys and they're moving to this new big fancy facility and maybe like in the last month we got to like use that new facility for some classes but ultimately it feel it felt like we were being pushed out as our program was ending like they almost didn't want us at the school for a moment while they were doing construction and i, I felt kind of like this is a joke you know like you know that there should like shit yeah there should be some some place for us to learn and work and it didn't feel like a college campus. When I went to Langara, I could walk around the campus, go anywhere I wanted, you know, go to the cafeteria, eat here. The VFS, everything felt so compartmentalized. And it felt like it wasn't good to mingle. <laughs> and and they, they had this weird, like, policy of like, oh, if we give you a scholarship, don't tell anyone else about it. And I was like, why? People usually celebrate scholarships. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, like I said, it's a for-profit school. When you go there, if, for example, if you need to take out a student loan, they'll assign you a quote unquote advisor, uh, basically someone that makes sure they get the tuition money from you. So it's not really anyone who's helping you do anything. They're just assigned to you to make sure they get all the money they need from you into the program, whether it's through student loans, which ultimately they just get money from the government, <laughs> or if it's from, um, you know, the person paying the tuition. Uh, that's just the way the school works. Now, there's some value in the program, but if VFS was a stock, it would be highly overvalued, and I probably wouldn't purchase that many shares. <laughs> so, well, you said they give like a somewhat accurate version of what it's going to be like. How is it in terms of, do they sit people down and say like, okay, look, this is really competitive, you know, you're going to be competing with your fellow classmates to do xyz jobs because they want to do those too and you're going to spend a lot of time here you won't have time to have a part-time job like do you have enough money saved up to do all this or do they just give you the glamour points and then say if you want to write a check go ahead well they give you like links to like places you can get loans <laughs> i think that's part of their financial advice which is funny but um uh there's like a small building that tells you about like places students can live and anything basically to help you as you go to this program but i never went into that building once during my time there and i, I honestly felt like it would have it wouldn't have given me anything like it wouldn't have helped me i think one of the most annoying parts of signing up for vfs was getting like the stupid equipment they would give you for free like i got this big book about cinematography from like the 90s and i was like well, this is useless to me um <laughs> <laughs> probably cost you 700 dollars. no it was free it was part of like the welcome to vfs it probably did cost okay, me money well, that's good i mean they say it's free it probably was uh, in my tuition i just didn't know about it um yeah they would give me this stupid vfs backpack that where the zipper breaks like immediately um and i <laughs> Yeah, I don't use it because it's a piece of crap. 
and then the umbrella that eventually breaks on you. So, um, <laughs> the free gifts are nice until they stop working. There's like a, a facile vision of like, we want to help you go through the program. But I think that the more you look at it realistically, the more, the more it's about make sure you get all the money you can from the students and make sure that they're locked into the program because it's only a year and that's all we need to get the money from them. It, it's a for-profit school. Um, I'm not saying all for-profit schools are bad, but this one is really, really after the profits. And um, mm. I, I'm, again, I don't want to like just completely shit on the school, but I feel lucky and I feel like I, I'm not the majority. I think most people would have a incredibly negative sentiment. I don't have such a bad sentiment. And that being said, it already doesn't sound good coming from me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty fair. Um, so what, what do you think the dropout rate was when you were there? Um, for my class, I think maybe 30%. 30? Yeah. Shit, dude. Uh, well, for my class, like that... uh, we had like 15 people by the end of it. Maybe like nine. Yeah. How quick did people drop off? Um, usually by term three, everyone who's going to leave has gone. How many terms are there? Uh, five, I believe, yeah. Okay, so halfway-ish. Oh, no, six. Six terms. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this is actually super interesting stuff. Um, all right, so let's do kind of lightning round. What do you think was the best things you got out of it? Uh, the people, the connections with classmates. And what was the worst? A wasted time. In what sense? Um, you know, time spent doing things that weren't useful. Projects, assignments, paperwork, things that I didn't care about. Yeah, stuff like that I found useful. I mean, useless. And I've, I found the hands-on work to be the most useful. That's stuff I still remember. But there's just so much paperwork and doing, like, stupid quizzes that were, were like, totally useless to me. And I think, like, the, the less you have to do with that stuff and the more you can really focus on what you like the better what kind of person would you recommend a program like that like a one-year condensed program and what type of person would you not recommend it to well ironically someone who likes to learn on their own um this is, is this a, would or would not recommend this this would be an okay recommend for someone who likes to learn on their own um because I, I like the idea of going to a school because i'm learning from people who have more experience than me like mentors who have you know knowledge that i just don't have at all and that i can't just learn from like a youtube video um it takes like real like doing and and repeated exposure to free to like really get down and i wanted to learn it um that way so if that's what you're looking for then it's good for that but if you're also a self-starter then sometimes it makes more sense to just try to do it get onto sets and learn it from videos or read. But uh, I found it beneficial for me because it felt like it sped up the process. And I also didn't have to like search for what was good and bad information. 
I could just kind of decide as I was doing it if I found it useful to me. So if you if you learn that way, then good. Then, then then it might be okay for you. But I don't know how much the program has changed because it's been eight years since I went. So yeah. All right. If you could go back again, would you? Yeah, I, I think I extracted enough value out of it. Extracted is the key word because you really have to extract from VFS to get the value. Um, so I got enough out of it because I really tried. So I do think I, I would. But um, I really wish I could change the experience to be better because I, I think there were a lot of issues that weren't addressed. And what would you change if you could? Teachers, <laughs> fundamentally. <laughs> I think some of them were just not good teachers. I think some of them were pretty great. Uh, yeah, I think that, that would be the biggest thing. And I guess the biggest question of all, do you recommend it? Why or why not? <sighs> and now at this point, I'd, I'd say no. Ultimately, it's it's up to the person applying, right? So I don't know what everyone is like. I know how I know what I'm like in school. Like I didn't enjoy high school, but I did okay because I kind of coasted through it. But when I went to college, because I was paying for every course, I tried really hard, and I did pretty well in college. But then I dropped out, and then I went to film school, and I did pretty well in film school. But I really, really had to try hard because I was very passionate about learning. Um, if you don't have that kind of cons consistent energy where you can just be excited about it, even after the shitty days, I don't recommend this because there's going to be more than one bad day. And if it gets you down and it you know, makes you feel like you've lost motivation, this is not the place to go. All right. This brings up two other lightning round questions. Describe the good days. Describe an example of a bad day. The good days, um, eating with friends setting up lights, setting up cameras, hitting a record button on something, and then having dinner with friends. Those were the good days. <laughs> uh, the bad days were, um, um, for me personally, sitting in the first AD class, uh, doing tests and exams, um, printing papers, reading like fresh printouts from any class, didn't like those uh, felt useless and the worst days returning gear that was always rough <laughs> <laughs> emotionally a little because you're always afraid you lost something um, your reputation I think that's one good thing that I learned is your reputation as a cinematographer relies heavily on how you how well you return gear to gear houses and I learned how to do it well in film school so I've had a good relationship with any gear house I rent from because I always return gear back in perfect condition. Or try to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's all really good stuff. Um, it's really interesting to think about just film school as a whole. I mean, both how you're describing it and then envisioning an alternate reality where I went and honestly I think I would have been that person where I got nothing but debt out of it and anxiety <laughs> you know I know I'm the kind of person that's um 
kind of stubborn and I really have to charge into things. Like it's basically been my pattern. Even from high school, it was like, I want to play guitar. So I'd buy a guitar. Like that was the first step. It wasn't like, let's see if someone I know has a guitar and then I'll try a few chords. It's like, no, I want to do it. I'm going to buy it. And then when I decided I was going to get into film, for some reason, my first instinct was to build like a $4,000 computer that I'd never touched, <laughs> ever. I gave it to you before I left. <laughs> like, I never used that thing. <laughs> and then same with like writing. It's like, well, let's just do it. And uh, don't sue that. me. But yes, yeah, so, well, someone got me a pirated final draft and I used that for one script and then was like, well, let's go get something else. And it was always just jumping into things. So I like I can only speak from myself and envisioning an alternate reality where I did go to film school. But I would say if you're like that, too, then maybe just try it or at least keep trying it until you get to a point where you feel you really thirst for it. Cause I, where you were saying like you went to film school and you were hungry for it and you really, really tried and you made the most of it. I wouldn't have been able to do that when I was 24 and I first moved to Vancouver and I met you. But if it was three or four years later and I tried doing this a good amount and I had written a bunch and at that point I was really, really hungry and it wasn't just something where I was trying to do, I was actively doing. If then I had gone and paid for the schooling, I think I would have been in that same state you mentioned where you were hungry and you really, really went for it. So if you're kind of stubborn, a weird mix of stubborn, bullheaded and apathetic, maybe <laughs> don't quite go yet. Uh, yeah. Any last thoughts? What are you thinking, man? Yeah. And just, for people, anyone listening that's even thinking about film school, I'm specifically talking about the film production program at VFS. That's the one I took. So I don't know anything about the animation or makeup or uh, acting programs. Those are completely separate from what I went to, and they have different instructors. Some of them overlap, but I know they're different departments. So, you know, you'll have to look into that if you're thinking about those programs. But I'm specifically talking about film production being on set, shooting, camera, lighting, directing, um, editing, all that kind of stuff. So those that's what I'm talking about now. Um, I, I had good experiences with editing and cinematography when I went to VFS. But everything else is like a toss-up. And I don't know who's teaching now. So again, so you, you have to look into that. Um, yeah, I mean, the reason we even got to this topic was I was, I was kind of, I wouldn't say fantasizing, but like thinking about setting up what in my mind would be the perfect film school. Um, you know, perfect is not the, the best word, but if I, if I got to set up a film school, how would I set it up? And I kept imagining like what the program would be like and how it would run. And I, I, I thought of maybe, the idea that best fit in my head and it was like learning from the mistakes of VFS <laughs> and I think maybe we can talk about that on a different episode but we can describe what if we could start our own film school what that would be like uh, but I have a lot of ideas on how that could work alright we'll do a part two um, so last question that just popped into my mind other than the people that dropped out so say the 70% of the cal your class that finished VFS, how many of them do you think w thought, yeah, this was good, I got what I wanted out of it? 
Oh man, I think out mm-hmm. of our class, maybe three people. Really? Yeah, and I'm one of them. Um, and we're not the norm. So out of, I think initially day one, there may be like 16 people in our class. And out of them, I think nine graduated. And out of the nine, I think only three were happy with their experience. I can, you know, I can't answer for everyone, but that's the feeling I get. Cause, um, I, I there's a small percentage of, of, of my class that are still working in film, including me. Um, and everyone else is not working in film or doing something else now. Uh, but that's also just the nature of this industry, you know, being an artist and working in kind of a speculative career path. That, that's kind of what, what happens anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. That's something we should really touch on in another episode too. Like, I think it's, it's safe to say that like, you've been doing this a little bit longer than I have, but even like me, I think I'm at not much longer years now. Yeah. And we've seen, I would consider a solid percentage of people I've known stop doing it, you know, and it's fine. You know, I'm not criticizing anyone. If it's not for you, it's not for you. Then don't, don't do it. Right. Just the way it is. Um, but I think that'd be a good topic one day for an episode. Just like when you start to see fall off of your colleagues, not doing it anymore and what that's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, at some point I stopped doing something to go into film and I was, I was yep. uh, a dance. This is going to sound so weird. I was a dancer for like a huge portion of my life longer than I've been filmmaking. I don't mean like a, um, entertainment dancer. I was like a competitive dancer and I used to do choreography, but I stopped that because I became really interested in filmmaking. And I think you know, for people who are not filmmaking anymore, it's maybe a similar thing where they're finding that their passion lies somewhere else. But yeah, I agree. I think that's an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, totally. And, you know, similarly, like I played music since I was 13. And, you know, I had that one band where that's the farthest I'm ever going to go in music because I'm done with it now. But when you re- when you st- quit something like that, it's a, uh, pretty colossal life change Mm -hmm. yeah totally agree with you all right well next episode or one of the next episodes we'll we'll talk about that all right cool well thanks for tuning in everyone uh what episode are we at now latif like uh 120 oh shit yeah that's crazy that's awesome all right well thanks for listening to episode 120 i don't know what we're gonna call this latif will figure that out but I had fun. This is cool. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm Teef. This has been Filmcraft. It's brought to you by ACAST. Check out ACAST. Yay! See you next week.